Welcome to Parenting Bites. This is Rebecca Levy of Kids Views. I am here today with Amy Oztan of Amy Ever After. Hi. Hello. And Andrea Smith, our technology guru extraordinaire. Hello. Andrea, I have to say, I think my daughters have heard me say that so many times whenever they've been around when we've been recording or when, because I can't imagine they actually listen to the podcast, but my daughter used like not technology guru, but she called herself like a canoeer extraordinaire in one of her essays. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, you totally got that from our Andrea intro. That's so funny. It was really funny. (laughs) And Uh, that's my, my Rebecca given intro. So I love it. Yeah, I know. Like mother, like daughter. We love the word extraordinaire. You totally should put it so much better than like guru right you or know, tech guru. expert yes tech expert you should do that whenever you're on tv and make them put it on like the chiron on the bottom right. technology guru extraordinaire, extraordinaire. <laughs> i love it's just, it it's beyond the normal guru i i worked um, in a theater where um the woman who was in charge of costuming lobbied really really hard with her union to get them to list her as costume wench in programs <laughs> and she was not successful Oh, yeah, somebody would be offended. <laughs> and that was probably back in the day when like people were very rarely offended. Early 90s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who knew? Um, so today on the show, I think this is a really interesting show, actually, because it involves something I didn't even know about, because that's how much I use Snapchat. <laughs> but we have on the founder of Give Us the Floor. Her name is Valerie Grissen Alsop, and she is on with her daughter, Blanche. They together are the founders of Give Us the Floor, the supportive group Snapchats for teens. So they're closed groups on Snapchat and there's anonymity, which is really interesting to me on Snapchat, um, and they're confidential supportive group chats. So members help each other with all sorts of issues from mental health to bullying, um, isolation, body image, sort of anything you can imagine teens going through. But it's... It's a really fascinating thing. It could be a really nice alternative if you have teens that are looking for a more confidential place to vent. Um, You know, that can be really hard when all of your texts or group texts are with your close friends. Um, And maybe you're not the kind of person who likes to just put everything out there on Instagram because I know there there are those kids too. But um, we're going to talk to her about why they founded these groups and how they work and, you know, how they're looking to grow and how your teen can get involved if they're looking for an outlet like this or they're looking to be someone who helps. We'll be right back with Valerie and Blanche. So we are back with our guests, Valerie Grissen Alsop and her daughter Blanche. Valerie is the founder of Give Us the Floor, a supportive group Snapchat for teens. I guess there are actually many groups. And Blanche, I know you are a facilitator and group leader, and we are really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Um, So I want to back up a little bit because I think Snapchat, out of all the social media services, is probably the one that parents are least familiar with um, and least likely to use themselves. So if you could I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this to you, Blanche. Um, <laughs> if you could kind of talk about, you know, in a very basic way, what Snapchat is and then how the group function works on Snapchat. Well, Snapchat as a platform is a um, place where you can send pictures or text to another person. And the whole concept behind it is that those pictures or text will be deleted either instantly or after 24 hours. 
And this works as a group for Give Us the Floor because then sometimes people will share some personal information that they don't necessarily want to have to look at if they scroll back up in the chat and that they don't want other people to have available to show to anyone they want. So it really does work well with um, the whole idea of Give Us the Floor. And also, a lot of teams have Snapchat. The vast majority is already on the platform, so it makes it easier for us. So, Valerie, when you decided to found Give Us the Floor, what was your sort of impetus behind founding it? What, what, where did you see this need? So I clearly see the need of uh, helping teenagers because it's been a few years that we know that the the uh, suicide um, has skyrocketed, and, and and it's awful that the. I mean, I'm going to give you a few stats right now. It's like one out of four teens girls in the U.S. report harming themselves. The deaths by suicide in youth between 12 and 18 has increased by 33 percent between 2009 and 2000. 17 and now suicide is the second leading cause of death so a few years ago i looked at that and i thought what can we do to help them you know mental health issues are are increasing um as, as they have never done and one of the things i really realized is that when um, teenagers are in trouble they're much more likely to share their difficulties with peers than with adults because there is less shame, there is less accountability if they go share with peers and it's also peers relate much more to them. And so um, I was thinking of how to do that and I um, read a book from Barbara Varenhorst who was really the person who inspired us, and she become a, uh, she she came on our board. Who um, she started the old peer support in San Francisco in schools, and uh, and I started on that, and I thought, okay, so we need to find a way that is scalable where teens can just support each other and help each other because we know that when they just sharing your difficulty makes you feel better. And, um, and my goal was really to break the isolation and shame cycle that the teens can feel when they don't feel like they are like normal, if it makes sense. So mm -hmm. we started in San Francisco and we did it in person first. And we really saw that it was needed, but it was not scalable. And we had issue like transportation issue. And how do you put the teens at the same time in the same room? It's very hard because teens have very busy, busy schedule between school, extrascolar activity, family. So, um, so about two years ago, a little more, I thought, okay, we, we need to go online completely. And um, so that was the idea. And one snapshot, because that's where they are and their parents are not there. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I know um, one of the things we saw with these groups with Give Us the Floor is that there is anonymity. How does that work on Snapchat and within these groups? So the groups are um, a group of teens that don't know each other that can be from all over the US. 
So they all live in different cities. They don't know each other at all. And doing it through Snapchat, unlike Instagram, where you could see pictures of the person, you don't have a page on Snapchat. So you'll see the person's username and the name that they put as their name. And that's it, which already leads to some kind of anonymity. And then within the group, you're not allowed to share any information on your location. You're not allowed to talk to each other one-on-one, only through like the group, which leads to more anonymity and makes the group work a lot better mm-hmm. because it's easier to share with someone you don't know than with someone that you're going to have to see every day and maybe feel ashamed for what you said. And somebody like you is moderating all of these conversations to make sure that everyone follows the rules? Yes. So how many groups are there? Ooh, we have about 90 groups. Wow. Wow, 90? Yeah, 90. And they are 12 to uh, 15 teens in average in every group. Hmm. So it sounds like we talked to Facebook recently about how groups are expanding. And of course, kids are not on Facebook as <laughs> the parents using Facebook. So exactly. this just sounds like, you know, the group situation where kids can really talk to each other um, and not worry about someone knowing who they are and where they are, but be able to share really freely because this is the, the platform that they're using. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would like to come back on the role of a facilitator because so like Blanche, a role is to make people uh, follow the rule. But I would say that that's not the biggest part of their role. The biggest part of the role is to foster conversation and make everybody feel uh, comfortable sharing their difficulty with the group. And how do you find these facilitators? How are they chosen? So we find them on, so uh, it's like 90% of our, of our uh, participants find us through Instagram. Uh, that's how we recruit them. And uh, so when they sign up, they sign up to be either a participant or a facilitator. And when they want to be a facilitator, we have the whole process that brings them to become facilitator. And it's first, they have to be at least one month as a simple participant in, um, in a supportive group chat. So we can, you know, look at how they behave or they engage or they, do they have a good spirit to become a facilitator. After one month, they go through a training, online training. And when they've done their online training, they go for two weeks in the mock chat where they have um, the adult advisor with the, the role, the person that gives us the floor that are taking care of the facilitator and the participant. They put them through uh, everything, the, the worst of everything that could happen in the supportive group chat. So they train really and they know how to react if something happened. And after this two week of mock chat, they have a check-in and a test that they pass or not, they can take it as much as they want. And and still, some people take the test and pass it, and we feel that they're not mature enough, I would say, to be facilitator, mm-hmm. and we encourage them to keep a little longer in um, as a participant and maybe to try a few months later to become a facilitator. And we, we have also a system of so facilitator and senior facilitator. Senior facilitator 
is um, our facilitators that have been with us for at least six months and have really proven to be really engaged, really committed, really good. And so when um, new, when we open group with new facilitator and we're not so sure that they're going to be that good, we always pair them with the senior facilitator. And you have adults overseeing everything. Do you have um, licensed therapists also involved? So the uh, the senior adult advisor is um, is a therapist, and uh, she's about to um, to get her graduate and a master of the therapist, and she's seeing people. So she's yeah, and so she's a senior one, and the the junior. Well, now we have two seniors actually, but so what we um, require for the adult advisor is that they have studies psychology. And we have also a very senior uh, therapist on the board of Give Us the Floor or as advisors that are um, supervising how the program is going on and are always ready to help. Okay. So how have you found, you know, what has been your experience in the groups? Have you found that kids are coming back every day, every week? Do you have sort of a a different flow or maybe kids come for a month or two and then they are away for a while. You know, how does that work? So most of the time they stay active. Um, so our, our average of members that are actually active have been active for more than nine months and that's an average. Uh, so they stay with us very long and we don't allow them to be inactive more than one or more than one month without asking them if they want to stay in the group because we want to avoid first we have a limited amount of of spots and second we don't want that people are like a peeping hole and look Mm -hmm. at the difficulty of the other ones without sharing their own difficulties um, but so they tend to stay very long. Um, as I said, in average, an active uh, member say, stay over nine months. And what we've seen really is that either they stay more than two weeks and they stay very long or they quit before two weeks because they realize it's not what they were looking for. And they, in average, um, the active members post 60 messages per month. Wow. And do you find there's a more sort of active time of year? I know before we came on, you know, I said my daughters are seniors in high school right now. I know, Blanche, you're a senior. Are you seeing sort of an uptick right now in, you know, anxiety, the anxiety groups? Yeah, um, so so the, the most quiet moment is the summer, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, uh, and and then the other most quiet moment are the finals, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because they they don't have time to go on the phone. Uh, it's like I would say it's a bit early for me to answer that because we have launched the program in April two thousand eighteen, so we don't have a clear pattern yet of when it's really uh, more. Uh, more active or less active. Clearly, back to school is more active. Um, you know, all the... Uh, right. And the summer is less active. And finals, there's a big drop during finals. That's for sure. 
Is there a breakdown of different kinds of groups? Like if somebody wants to be in an anxiety group or a depression group or, a you know, too much work? Yeah. So we have four group focuses, mental health, LGBTQIA+, person of color and allies, and life challenges. Wow, there must be a lot of overlap. <laughs> it's a very um <laughs> they are absolutely uh and and we have these focuses but we really insist that every group talks about everyday difficulties right so it's like yeah. it's just because we're a bit more focused but they don't just talk about that you can be in mental health and talk about a conflict with your parents same thing in people of color, you know, so it's, it's really the, the, and some people say, I want to be in two of them. <laughs> say, right. well, you have to choose and you'll <laughs> be able to address that in your group. And so what we're thinking also of doing, because we've seen, uh, we, we probably will implement in a few months, uh, kind of subgroups, which means mm-hmm. you can, you can belong to any of these four groups and belong to an additional group. What we have uh, people have asked us about is to do um, uh, suicide survivors. Oh, okay. That's interesting. Mm. That's good. Blanche, I want to ask you, Blanche, as a facilitator, that's a, that's a heavy job for a teenager. Yeah. Um, you know, I know just as a, like for an, just as a teenager day to day, it can be a lot to sort of be the person that your friends are coming to, you know, I mean, it's, it's a lot when you have your own stuff too. Um, how do you handle that? I mean, what do you, you know, what is obviously fulfilling about it, but what is challenging about that? I mean, it can definitely be challenging because sometimes you have tough situations that you don't necessarily know how to act. Like, for example, at some point, a guy in my group said that someone was threatening him and said, don't come to school tomorrow or I'm going to beat you up. So this guy was like, oh, should I bring a knife? Like, how should I bring a knife to school tomorrow? What do I do about this? And so I remember being there like, "Okay, how can I help him? Like, what can I say that would make it easier for him? And so, like, what kind of everyone in the group had said to him, because I'm not the only one helping, obviously, Mm -hmm. is don't bring the knife and then just stay close to adults or stay in a big group the whole day. And, you know, he did that. He stayed with an adult throughout the day. He was never alone and everything went fine. So a lot of times you can get scenarios like that that are kind of confusing and it's hard to know how to help the person because obviously you don't want to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. But in general, it's just, I mean, it's amazing because you see people that have been in my group for a really long time and you see them change and evolve into people that have, well, less worries, that have less anxiety, that are just generally feel better. And it's really great to see that evolution. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, being in that group also means that I get support myself. So if I have a problem, I can talk about it. So yes, sometimes it's hard, but I think I get more out of it than the difficulties. And if a situation happens in a group where um, you think somebody might hurt themselves or they might hurt somebody else, are there rules about 
contacting authorities? How is that handled? I mean, the first thing that all facilitators are told is in that situation, you co- you contact an adult advisor immediately. So that would definitely be the first step is reach out to an adult. So, yeah. So one of the adult advisor, because uh, what we want, as you said, can be a big responsibility and we don't want the teens to feel responsible if anything bad would happen. So we really insist when they are trained that as soon as there is something a bit challenging or like a crisis from one of the member, they are trained to reach out the adult advisor right away. We have a text, kind of a text line, a text number uh, for emergency that is monitored not 24 hours, but almost. And they're also trained to give right away the crisis text line number because um, crisis text line, they are really uh, trained and made to answer to this kind of crisis, which we are not. That's not, that's not our mission. Um, so, but, but every time something happens like that, which is not that often because we have over... 1,000 members, and uh, we have maybe one or two incidents per month, no more. And um, so the adult advisor takes over. No, that's great. Um, Blanche, do you think for your generation, this whole concept of sort of texting, um, certainly with anonymity, but texting in general to receive you know, therapy or help or talk is becoming just more and more common and more comfortable? Because I think a lot of adults don't understand it. Like they think, why would you want to talk to a bunch of just random strangers in a group text? Wouldn't you rather go see a therapist? And obviously it's not either or, but do you think for your generation, this is sort of the way forward or the the way that they want to do things? I mean, the first thing I'd like to say is give us the floor is not the same thing as seeing a therapist at all. Mm -hmm. So I would say seeing a therapist would be better in person, but give us the floor should definitely be online just because it is easier to share online because you don't have to look the person in the face when you're saying something that you might be ashamed of, which is also where the anonymity comes in, of course, because if you share something that's difficult to talk about with someone from your school, they might tell you they're not going to tell anyone, but you have no promises. Well, if you tell someone that's on the other side of the country, who are they going to tell? No one. Which is also a big part of why Give Us the Floor works so well. And the fact that it's over text also means that people are available pretty much 24-7. Because, well, teens are kind of always on their phone. <laughs> so if I like have a problem at 2 a.m., chances are someone will be online and will be able to help me. Or at least that's what I've noticed. And it sounds like you're saying the anonymity really lets people say what they really, really want to say without fear of being judged. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big part of it. Well, that's great. I mean, we will put links to everything we talked about today. We'll put links to giveustheflor.org. Um and well, not a link to Snapchat. <laughs> but, <laughs> but we'll start. We'll start with giveustheflor.org. Maybe a link um, for parents to understand Snapchat. Yeah, a little that's better. a whole other thing. I don't think kids want their parents to understand Snapchat. <laughs> I, but... don't, I don't think they do. What? So no. one thing I'd like to add is that we are very, very proud of our um, 
of a result because so we um, we we send survey regularly to our members and to know what they think, how they're doing, what give us the for brought them. And 94% of them say that their group chat has helped them feel less lonely. 97% of them say that their group has helped them improve the way they feel about themselves. Mm-hmm. And 85% of them say that they have been helped with their struggles. So, so we're very proud. And, and also I would say that um, the teens that are our participants are really the teens that need help because they report 77% of them reports having anxiety. 72% of them have been through depression or are going through depression. 70% of them feel like that they are isolated. And we have, and 52% of our members uh, report having had or having suicidal thoughts. So, um, so, so that's great and we can help them. And you were saying earlier that, you know, it would be better to see a therapist. Some people think that it would be better to see a therapist and talk uh, in person. Um, I would say that most of our teens, because we ask them, they don't have another place to go mm-hmm. and share the difficulty with. Going to a, to a therapist means that, one, first, you have to talk, talk to your parents and you have your parents to be uh, understanding that, um, that it's worth going see a therapist because I, I think it's Blanche, I don't remember when Fasciliator was telling me, that one went to see um, their parents who say, yeah, I really don't feel good, can I see a therapist? And sometimes the parents just say, oh, no, you're going to be fine, don't worry, you don't need to see a therapist. Um, so you have that, you have a lot of people that just can't afford sending their kids mm-hmm. to therapists. You know, it's, it's extremely expensive. Um, so, so give us the floor, become a support system. And Blanche is totally right, we are absolutely not a therapy uh, organization, but but we bring the support system. No, that's great. Well, thank you both so much for joining us today. I think this was incredibly informative and um, we will put links to everything so all of our listeners can find out more. And we will be right back with our Bites of the Week. We are back with our Bites of the Week. Amy, what do you have? All right, I have... I have um two Muppet related fights. Um, The first one is, um, it's an article in uh, McSweeney's um, from the perspective of Cookie Monster (laughs) about how he's not actually a monster. He's he's just a cookie enthusiast. It's completely (laughs) unfair that he's been portrayed this way. And uh, he goes into all of the reasons, you know, how this affects him. Being called a monster just because he loves to destroy cookies. He can't even eat them. He doesn't have a throat. He doesn't have an esophagus. So I just found that hilarious. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I have a deep love of of the Muppets. Um, The second one is something that that I just bought um, that is tickling me so much um it's one of those things where like people send funny things around facebook and 
you just kind of click on them at la and laugh and move on to the next thing. No, I had to track down the artist and actually buy it. Um, these it's it's a collection of paintings that this guy named Jason Beck did of different Muppet characters as horror film characters. And I'm just, I'll link to the site, but if you just go to society6.com and search the name Jason Beck, you'll find it. And the one that I bought is Animal as Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Oh my God. Yeah. And there, there are others. There's Statler and Waldorf as those creepy twins from, um, what's the movie uh, with Jack Nicholson? The Shining. Thank you. So um, uh, Statler and Waldorf is them. Um, That's it, so funny. It, you know, like it's, uh, I can't, I'm not even going to try to describe it because it's just, it's hilarious and creepy. It's got uh, Kermit the Frog as the killer from Psycho, like they're oh, just. I don't they're, think I want to see them like that. That's creepy. <laughs> it's creepy and horrible and hilarious and really well done. And there's a whole series. I did not buy the series. I only bought the animal one because, like, I was like, if I buy two, then I have to buy them all. Right? If I then buy it's weird. Just, yeah. Like it, <laughs> I would need like an entire gallery wall. Now I can just have one from you know. Possibly you could do them my, up your staircase. Oh my, God, that would be so awesome because my house is like old and creepy anyway. Um, But yeah, I just thought that these were so fantastic. So there you go. If you like horror movies and you like the Muppets and you never thought those two things would meet, here you go. Awesome. It is a very specific Venn diagram. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure there are other people who meet you in that middle spot. All right, Andrea, what do you have? (laughs) All right, guys, I went to town. I actually went to the theater this past weekend. And I have to tell you, To Kill a Mockingbird is the most amazing thing ever. That's just all I have to say. Aside from the book, this Broadway production with... I mean, I I really wanted to go because Jeff Daniels is still in it and he's going to be leaving soon. Right. Someone fabulous is taking his place, though. Oh, I was wondering if it was continuing without him. Yeah, Ed Harris. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure he'll be great. And I almost want to see it again Hmm. um, just to see. But I love Jeff Daniels. I feel like he's a little old. Ed Harris. I don't know. I feel like he's, he's a little old to play Atticus, to have such a young daughter and stuff. I don't know. Well, That's just my opinion. You, you Sorry, Ed Harris fans. I mean, because don't forget <laughs> that the you know the the play you know the actors are adults, right? Playing kid roles. I know, and like that. That's girl, actually my problem with the play. No, oh, but no, the girl fantastic. who plays Scout is unbelievable. I think she won a Tony. I think she yeah. won a Tony for her position. This was written by Aaron Sorkin. I mean, yeah. like Harper Lee, rewritten by Aaron Sorkin, to me doesn't get any better than that with Jeff Daniels in it. <laughs> it was just phenomenal. It was riveting. It was like, it was just showing you today that as things have changed, everything is still the same. Yeah. And scary but poignant and just heartwarming. And I loved every minute of it. So if you can catch it at all, go see it. Oh, that's great. Okay. My bite this week is, and I think I've mentioned before that the New York times is doing this whole series called overlooked no more, 
where they go back and they do obituaries of the people they should have done obituaries for, but mm-hmm. they didn't because they were women and or people of color and or both. Um, so they are going back and like writing some wrongs about the fact that their obituaries were basically just um, white men for, you know, hundreds of years beginning, whenever, how long the New York Times been in existence, 150 years. So they are trying to make things right by doing this Overlooked No More series. And every day they're amazing. Like I highly recommend just diving in and reading them. But this one is about uh, Latte Renninger. And I'm probably pronouncing her name wrong because I don't speak German. But she was an animator 10 years before Disney, made the first full-length animated film 10 years before Disney, um, and she did all of this with this process of silhouette cutouts. Hmm. So it was silhouette animation. She actually, she physically made all of the characters in this black silhouette. Um, and it's incredible. Like they moved, they had limbs. It, it, they're so spectacular. And then she would put them in this big glass box on a glass table so that they had depth. So even though it was 2D animation, it had this depth and they were silent films. And she worked on a lot of um, fairy tales and things like that. So she did Hansel and Gretel. She did Arabian Nights. Um, and they, she was incredibly influential for um, future filmmakers. She was actually working in Germany at a time at the, you know, right post-World War One, when, um, you know, Germany was incredibly artistic and there was so much going on. And then when Hitler came to power, she and her husband fled. Um, but she has not had her due. <laughs> huh. And she has had, you know, been kind of rediscovered. Um, all of her work was mostly set to music because it was silent film. But there, the whole obituary for her is incredible. You can see the picture of her glass table and how she worked. You can see the silhouette. So I'm hoping, and there maybe there are places where they're online where you can see some of them. But, you know, they were... They took 20, 250,000 frames and they used over 100,000 in the film and each second requires 24 frames. Like you can imagine wow. this was painstakingly done with these cutout silhouettes against these backdrops. It, they're so, it's just spectacular. Even if you just see the pictures, they're spectacular. I just um, love this whole idea of them doing these obits and going back and telling people's stories. I think it's yeah. fabulous. It's so fabulous and necessary. I can't tell you. Every single one you read, you're like, how do they not have an obit? Like, I don't understand. Like, every person they pick is so seminal to what they did. <laughs> and you just realize how – I always think of that Hamilton line, who tells your story. Yeah. Like, it is so true that – our stories have been so curated by a very specific point of view your whole life um, forever. And it's not just like the victors get to tell the story. It's just people in power get to tell the story. So when you see these stories and you realize how many people haven't had a biopic, you know, made of them, let alone just they're like a footnote to maybe if you've studied film, but I I was a film major and we did not discuss her at all. I even took German film (laughs) and she didn't come up. It was all male filmmakers. So like if anybody had heard of her, yeah. it would have been you. I mean, I literally had a German film class taught by a, a woman, taught by my only female professor in college. So um, it was interesting. I mean, just to read this and like, 
it's just incredible. So go back, read it, and then do a deep dive and just keep reading because at the bottom we'll have more of them. <laughs> you can just keep reading more and more amazing stories. Um, so that is our show for today. You can find everything we talked about today on facebook.com slash parentingbytes and, of course, at parentingbytes.com. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share wherever you listen to podcasts. We love to hear from you guys. You can message us on our Facebook page. You can private message us. Send us questions. Send us issues. Send us thoughts on episodes. Send us ideas for future episodes you'd like to see or maybe an issue you're dealing with right now. We are always thrilled to hear from our audience because we're sort of in a little one-way one -way booth over here. Right? We love to hear back from you guys. And until next week, happy parenting. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is our Parenting Bites disclaimer. Everything we talk about on the show is our own opinion. Any products we recommend, it's our own personal recommendation for entertainment purposes only. If you buy something through our affiliate links or you just happen to buy or see or read or watch something that we've recommended, it's at your own risk.